a local pharmacist is sounding the alarm about working conditions within retail pharmacies. She told KOCO's Abigail Ogle this is a matter of life and death. And Abby is joining us live right now. And Abby, she created a unique hashtag to get her point across. And to kind of get attention here, guys, and it is working. This is the hashtag right here. Pizza is not working. She says the free pizza parties are not working. They're not fixing the problem. A problem, she says, has only gotten worse because of the COVID pandemic. How those conditions have been affecting not just the pharmacist and the technician, but also the patient. Doctor of Pharmacy Bled Tanoe is making it her mission to spotlight the working conditions for retail pharmacists and technicians. Overwhelming pressure to keep up with the work, preventing me from providing um, the best patient care that I wanted for my for my patient. The local pharmacist says this was already a problem, now only made much worse by the pandemic. Adding COVID vaccine and COVID testing, and then as we're heading into the flu season. She tells us on top of filling prescriptions, talking with patients about their care, answering questions, they are now giving COVID tests and vaccines. It doesn't leave us enough time to really focus on what actually really matters to make sure that the patient is safe. She says creating an unbearable and possibly dangerous workload. Because we are feeling so overwhelmed, you as a patient, you are in danger. She says if a pharmacist makes a mistake because they're pulled in too many different directions, it could be deadly. We're not talking about I went to McDonald's and got a bad burger. Anyone that deals with someone's life that is not working, who's not working in the proper conditions, has a higher chance to make a mistake that can cost someone's life. Well, now she's hoping to work with lawmakers or lobbyists to make fundamental changes on how retail pharmacies operate so they can get back to the excellent patient care that she says is what they are all passionate about in the first place. Guys, she also asked for some grace and some patience. Thanks for tuning in to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. The most influential podcast dedicated to the profession of pharmacy with over 80,000 listeners worldwide. Welcome to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. haven't heard there is an initiative out there which was first covered by Becker's Hospital Review amazing publication if you if you ever wanted if you don't know about Becker's it's a, it's a great publication especially for those health system pharmacists out there and it was titled hashtag pizza is not working it was a campaign that calls for greater support for overworked pharmacists it was led by pharmacist bled 10 and she recently started this hashtag pizza is not working social media campaign, which drew awareness to the reality that regional directors and managers of our big chain pharmacies that were trying to do something nice in and of itself isn't an issue. But the fact that they were throwing pizzas and cookies and boxing candies to the pharmacy technicians and the pharmacists that were experiencing overworked uh, situations, uh, the hours that they were working, the coverage that they didn't have, and the fact that we know that this ties back to the lack of payment models that are fair to not only our patients, of course, but the pharmacists and the pharmacy technicians and the pharmacy business models. 
I'm so excited to welcome Bled to the Pharmacy Podcast Nation. And it's your first time on the Pharmacy Podcast, but it will not be your last. Uh, welcome, Bled. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. How are you doing? Doing very well. So let's just jump right into this. First of all, tell our listeners why you wanted to become a pharmacist. What, what was it that drew you to the pharmacy industry? Um, I think it's really based um, on my personal history. Um, I was a very sickly child. And so for me, every time I would go to the pharmacy back home and I would see the person in the white coat, I knew that I was going to get better because I was there. And so I wanted to bring that same sense of security to my patient, knowing that, you know, when they were coming to see me, you know, that we feel it would just make them feel better because they knew they could trust they could they could trust me with their health. And so I just wanted to be that figure for them. And so when I moved here in the country, I was automatically without with no experience, I was drawn to retail uh, and pharmacy. This is where I wanted to be. I felt that being part of the community was for me was was an honor to to know my patient, to uh, create relationship, you know, with them, you know, to be part of the journey, you know, uh, whether they um, they were going through hard diagnosis, right, or even where they were they were acing their A1C level for that one time, you know. So just really that pleasure, and so that's really what drew me, especially to that side of pharmacy. So I want us to listen to a short recording, which I'm going to insert here. And this is from a Reddit uh, chat board, which comes from a section of this chat that is dedicated to CVS pharmacists. And it's titled, Pharmacy Manager Here Will Not Open Pharmacy With No Staff. And it reads, I've been with CVS for five years. I am a pharmacy manager and have never been in a situation where I have absolutely no staff. I inherited this position with no staff, pharmacists, or technicians. I can no longer work by myself. It's too much to do vaccines, run the register, fill 300 prescriptions, put the truck supplies away, uh, cycle counts, answer the phones, and keep on top of everything else. It has caused severe anxiety attacks, and the verbal abuse from the public doesn't help. I'm done. Patient safety is at risk. Now, we've heard through national articles that have been written by the New York Times, Forbes magazine, CNBC, that there have been reports on issues like this. What do you think has to happen to force these large publicly traded organizations to come to the table to restructure? their entire operations with, once again, patient safety placed first. And mm -hmm. then if they were to do that correctly, it would give pharmacists and pharmacy technicians adequate staff. What do you think has to happen? Um, so, you know, we, we know that our state entities have their own way to um, to lead pharmacy, right? So, um, which mainly comes to investigation and fines. Um, you are finding a company that makes 
billion dollars a year, you are not even touching the surface of the income. However, as I say many times, try to tie the business and pharmacy license to the actions, and then you're changing the conversation. So we all know that, as I mentioned to many people, when it comes to Medicare and Medicaid, you valid the policy so often what happened, they revoked your license to see the patients. Why can we not hold those company with the same, um, at the same level? If you valid patient safety, if you valid any labor law and all of that, you are at risk to hold a business and advance license in the state. But for that to happen, you also have to have labor laws which are in favor of employees, which many states don't. And so there is a lot of different dynamics that all have to change. This is not gonna be one answer fixed altogether. But I think what uh, pharmacists and technicians really want to happen is the, is the opportunity to focus on patient care. All of, that's all. If we are able to give that to them and remove all what I like to call the snacks and the drinks, we don't really serve them in that manner, right? I think you are now leading to a, a different conversation. You know, we might not be right there with what we're talking about targeting uh, companies' licensed, but if we can provide fast technician just an environment where they are only responsible for one and one thing, which is patient safety, then I think you're starting to rebuild the culture and that's what we need to happen. How do we get there? That's the question, right? We can talk about it, we can, we can post about it, but I don't think it has hidden the mind of this big chance that uh, that, the, that the profession is at risk and they're all the one causing that. So I think that's where we are right now. So we also know that a federal judge just last week awarded a former Walmart pharmacist with $27 million in total damages, agreeing that the retail giant wrongfully fired the employee after she complained that they were violating Medicare laws. And it goes into this story which shows uh, violations of uh, not getting breaks and and probably very similar to other big chains that mm-hmm. weren't properly staffing nor supporting their pharmacists. And mm-hmm. I think that this suit is going to be uh, repeated. And I think we're going to see other pharmacists um, that that are going to finally stand up. And I think it comes back to many pharmacists and pharmacy technicians afraid of being fired and let go during a time in our economy where our positions and our jobs and the revenue that we bring in to care for ourselves and our families is really more important than ever with with the way that the economy is, with the way that we see inflation and gas prices and taxes and many things that are happening. I couldn't afford to go without my income if I had an issue, although I'm self-employed, but if I if I wasn't, if I worked for somebody and I had an issue, I would I would feel that if I complained about something that I knew was not right, especially if it was going to cause harm to those that I serve. In the case mm-hmm. of pharmacy, our patients, our community. But I if I had fear of retaliation of being let go, 
I may not say anything. Whereas this suit and this uh, law um, outcome has shown that um, federal judges at the uh, state and possibly even the the Supreme Court level mm-hmm. are are going to change things. And I think it's time for why be forced to do something as a major publicly traded corporation if you could just make changes without being forced to make those changes. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And I think you, I mean, you brought out several points here. First, we're talking about California, California, which is a very friendly state when it comes to employees, right? You bring that to Oklahoma, it's not going to work because when you look at Oklahoma labor law, the employees here are fulfilling those duties. So the idea of breaks, you know, and paying overtime and insurance and all that. So depending on which state you are, this particular suit has precedent, right? But then your next point is the fact that there's a, there's a uh, we, we have too many pharmacists and less job. And you're talking about the revenue, you know, the, the pace for pharmacists and technicians have drastically changed. You know, before you were talking about pharmacies, you know, in the upper $60 an hour. And now you're talking about 43, where if you are a veteran pharmacist who has been making $60 an hour, you, you're not going to want to leave that position because you have a standard of living of that you have for a $42 an hour. Well, now you have too many pharmacists. And if you're a new grad, well, guess what? I need to get a job. So even if you offer me $50 an hour, I'm still going to go for it. So the fear of retaliation employers are very well that well that because like you say in the economy where pharmacy jobs are so rare, they know they can play on that fear. And that's because you have too many pharmacists, you know, and so they can, they can they, they have a lot of choices compared to back then when it was very hard to employ to employ pharmacists, you have to give them a lot of incentive because there were a lot of competitions between employer employers. Now there's a lot of competition between employees, right? So the game, the game has changed. We need to find a way to shift that back to where employers are the one who are actually struggling to find pharmacists and not the other way around. So let's pick out the players here because that's more than just one. Meaning mm-hmm. if we went after Walmart, Walgreens, Costco, CVS, um, you know, the, cha- the, whatever, as many a change, if, and we force them overnight to change, that would be great. But that's not all, that's not all. So it's, it's bigger puzzle than that. So I'm thinking that we have a pharmacy school issue. Mm-hmm. We have a PBM issue, which is the biggest three PBMs that they, they process Almost 80% of every single prescription in the United States goes through one of the three big PBMs. We have the boards of pharmacy. We have uh, the stockholders and Wall Street. We have to bring, and we have, of course, our federal regulators and our state regulators. Yeah. We almost need to bring everyone together to allow them to realize that this ecosystem is very fragile. And when you tip one piece of the ecosystem, it throws other pieces into disarray. And, and in this case, mm-hmm. we see the unbalance. We see the stress, the burnout, how the pandemic has 
accentuated the need for pharmacy services. I actually just watched something on the news uh, just in my in my morning uh, grab of of national news that there's a crisis of nurses actually leaving their jobs in in health systems and hospitals because they can't take the 14 and 18 hour days anymore, mm-hmm. and they already have a nursing shortage. Well, I see this starting to happen in the pharmacy sector too, because pharmacists are now looking for new roles that are not in community retail. They're looking for specialty pharmacy. They're looking for medical science liaison. They're looking for entrepreneurial opportunities and content development, hospital pharmacy, um, independent community. Independent community does pharmacies for the most part. There's 21,000 of them in the United States. They don't have this problem. So I want to know if you had to pick one of those pieces, which one of the pieces of the puzzle would you choose to kind of hammer down on? Well, you forgot one more piece of the puzzle. Patience. So here's the thing. We, throughout the campaign, we have known that the biggest player in all of this are the patients and the, and the, the big chains. You know, we pharmacists and, and technicians, you know, we have voiced our concern. Like I said, we are easily repressible, but the patients are all in competition for one and only one person is a patient. We need to find a way to make the patient be aware of the issue, to, to, to create a sense of urgency from them and to create a sense of advocacy from them. If the patient drives the money, they get to choose where they want to go pick up the patient. They get, they get to choose which insurance to choose because based on that, they will have, again, the right to go here and there. So I think really they're all at the center of the issue until the patient itself realizes that, okay, something is wrong in the way my pharmacy functions. I've been here three times, four times. I'm not able to pick up my prescriptions. I'm here three times, four times. I'm waiting two hours for my prescription. I need to go somewhere else. Until themselves realize the issue, I think the other players are just are just they're still waiting, right? And they're still able to take a piece of the cake. So your patience is probably the first one. And the patient not only impact the retail, but also they impact the border pharmacies, who which as they're saying that we, they're all here to advocate for the patient, obviously not us, but it's the patient, right? So you get patients to complain several times to the senator, the, the house representative, you know, the, the board of pharmacy, that, that gets the conversation going, right? And then you have the board rolling toward those entities, finding their way in investigating in more detail, big chains. You know, pharmacists have complained. They've, they've written letters, and obviously that has not gone anywhere. But you have patients taking that fight, then maybe we'll have a better chance. So I think this is probably your biggest piece of the puzzle. So I think of the word revenue versus the word profit from a from a publicly traded organization. And CVS, for example, the healthcare behemoth profits soared to 2.98 billion, which was up 55% over the last year. So think about that. They they increased profits by profits, not revenue, by 55%, mm-hmm. right? There is 
absolutely no reason that that organization, not to pick on CVS because we're, we're talking about all the chains, but CVS specifically based on those metrics to be able to set this right and still return a profit, even a healthy profit to yeah. their, to their stockholders. There, there is no reason that this ecosystem cannot be balanced. And what this is, is it's flat out corporate greed. Absolutely. It's not about patient healthcare. This is not about what's best for communities. This is not, and here's where the, here's where the chokehold needs to come in. Much of that money that's being pulled into these chain pharmacies is from tax dollars, okay? So if it were just private money, I would say there's still something that we should be able to force them to do. Mm -hmm. But if you took that profit level and we gave it to Antonio Chacha, who's out there in Ohio, as one of the leading analysts in, in and around PBMs and how PBMs work. If we said, Antonio, take the $2.98 billion and carve out the tax money. That's you and I paying taxes into this behemoth. There's mm -hmm. where the crime is because you're, you're taking tax dollar money. You're not caring for patients. You're not caring for pharmacists. You're not caring for pharmacy technicians and you're just gobbling it up in the form of profit. That disgusts me. That disgusts yeah. me. Yeah. I mean, and then we, we, we talked about this is the fact that this is um, pharmacy at this point right now. It's, it's no longer about the patient. I mean, for the past 15, 10 years, it's, it's shifted from the instance where I want to be the neighborhood pharmacy process where everybody knows, you know, I, I know your name. I know, I know your, I know everything about you. I can anticipate your need. This is, that's really what it was supposed to be. That has shifted from that to how much I can cut so I can still make more, right? There's no reason, you, you, and you correct, there's no reason we should have this issue with how much money they made. You know, we have with this much money, they could hire extra staff, they could hire nurses and 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 people to take over the vaccine and really leave pharmacists and technicians to worry about taking care of prescriptions. But they added this load on them to the point where this is where we are right now. And that still applies to all the other major chain, right? CVS, Walmart, Borgans, all that. So the idea of, I, I think about it, I say, who's your economist, really? Because the, the idea of, I need to cut more to, to have more production, for me, is senseless. And I feel that if only we can, they can realize that if you provide more, more labor, you will have more production. You can, they can actually triple the $2.9 billion. If only they would have provided, <laughs> they provided more, more support, right? And so I think, I think they, they, they little bit, they, they shorten themselves in, in the revenue, uh, I'm sorry, in the profit in that sense, but you're correct. It's, it's very much about grade, you know, about, and about, and be selfish. That's really what I think about. So I think of, a radical idea, and I've heard this before, and I wasn't a fan of it, say two, five, ten, even 10 years ago. And that was, 
We have 311,000 active pharmacists in the United States right now. If 20% of them, which is 62,000, if 62,000 pharmacists unionized overnight, if they unionized, if they said, Board of Pharmacies, you can either accept this or not accept this, but we will stop working if we're not accepted as the new level of standards, which is based on the oath that we took as doctors of pharmacy. So yes. we're going to take the oath and we're going to turn the oath into a union. And then we will govern the policies that every single pharmacy in the United States must adhere to with regards to pharmacist work hours, work support, number of technicians to support the pharmacist that's on staff, number of prescriptions that's divided by pharmacists to do the correct checks, as well as the safety, as well as the patient reviews, meaning how many scripts are we pumping out in the number of 300, 600, 1200, 2500 a day, where a, a patient isn't being sat down with the pharmacist and do they have the adequate time to do a comorbidity check with many of the chronic conditions that our patients are facing, where they're mm -hmm. dealing with multiple disease states to sit down and take a breather and sit down, look the patient in the eye and do a correct review of what's going on that, you know, I, you know, and I know blood that that is not happening. No, no, that has never, <laughs> no. I mean, we can't even go to the OTCL and show the patient anything we just bring them out go to r14 that's what it is you know <laughs> and so what do we do do you think we can get sixty-two thousand pharmacists to unionize you know that question has been thrown out to me a lot and i want to say yes but I, since i'm like i can't for the reason that through all this campaign um i have discovered at what Point we are divided as a profession, you know, because this could be, and I I mentioned to these people several times that retail is really the center of everything. No matter how we think of retail pharmacies as the pit or the pit, really it starts with them and it ends with them. Whether we want to accept that when you're paid before your patient goes to you as an inpatient, they're going to see us first. When they come back, they're going to see us, right? We all, we all really the, uh, the, the, the alley in between all of us. And so, but throughout this campaign, I'm realizing many of the different sectors of pharmacy are just saying, that's not my problem. I don't work in retail, right? So you have some inpatient I don't deal with COVID vaccine. You know, I get my COVID vaccine here. I go to my inpatient pharmacy and I pick up my script. That's not my problem. You have some of the independent. I have PBMs issue. I still, I'm still fighting this fight. I'm well-staffed. That's not my issue, right? And so, and then you have everybody staying himself, which leave the only, the uh, the retail pharmacy technician, which by the way, cannot really split them from themselves in the sense that they are further retaliation, right? Against and from the employers. So when you have all of that, it's hard to say that a union is going to work because everyone is, is having, like you were saying, their own thing. So I think until we have seen pharmacy come together the way we need to, a union right now will mainly be speaking on behalf of retail.
it would not be as inclusive as it needs to be, which create further division. It's a great idea. I am for it. But the question is, who is going to lead it? What will be the goals? Who is going to afford it? Um, who is going to affirm those goals? You know, who is going to be part of it, right? Which sector is going to serve better, right? And 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 so many questions at this point, none of us have the answer. Yeah, you know, there was, um, we have a podcast series called Transforming a Nation. It takes a deep dive and look into racism in our healthcare system. It dives into sexual harassment in uh, pharmacy. It jumps into uh, healthcare inequities. And we really have had some amazing participants on that series. Um, matter of fact, I'd like some of your insights into an episode upcoming on that series where we're going to dig deeper into um, the, the, the fact that um, we're not supporting our pharmacists as we should. But when I look at much of what we talked about on that specific series with many people, including Dr. Aluko from Ernst & Young as their chief medical officer who has 30 plus years insights into different issues impacting healthcare. The organization that I first think of is the NAPB, the National Association Boards of Pharmacy, where they control the license of the individual pharmacist, as well as working with the DEA and the FDA and many of the federal regulations to open pharmacies. Mm -hmm. Go to them and say, why can't you control this? Why can't you snuff the license out of any pharmacy that gets unanimously reported and investigated to find that a unanimous or I'm sorry, not unanimous, anonymous um, <laughs> pharmacist reports something, it's checked. All of a sudden, the second pharmacist reports it. A technician reports it and they realize, oh, this isn't just one person that might, because we're all human, you might have mm -hmm. an irritated pharmacist that's complaining about something that maybe doesn't pan out. But if you could verify based on the entire operation of that specific pharmacy, NAPB could pull that license immediately, shut the whole operations down. They started pulling license of CVS. If they started pulling license of Walgreens and Rite Aids and Walmarts, they just started pulling it and saying, you cannot operate until we investigate this. Those investigations, Bled, could take 30 days, 60 days, 90 days. That means that those organizations are out, meaning yes. the CVS that doesn't have a pharmacy, that becomes a grocery store. Mm -hmm. You aren't going to go to CVS to pick up a bunch of groceries and stuff. And <laughs> now, that, you know, they, maybe they might, but it the 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 grab or the or the pull in of that organization is the mm -hmm. fact that it's a pharmacy. So I if I had to look at the ecosystem, we were trying to figure out the one piece of the puzzle, one right? Piece. Exactly. I want to go to the NABP and say, you guys have the power, the authority, the authoritative power to literally shut people down overnight if they didn't adhere to specific standards. And it shouldn't about it sh they wouldn't even have to protect the pharmacist as much as, you know, you guys are my favorite provider. I absolutely love pharmacists. I can't get enough. I just, it's my life, right? But that's my bias. NAPB should be looking out for patient safety above everything. Absolutely. Number one. And these are patient safety issues. So that's the organization I'm going to put my, my thumb on. 
Yeah, and then, you know, while we're talking about that, I think there was um, there was recently um, a survey where you could go out and 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 fill and talk about you know your the, your work conditions. I think you know um, I really invite pharmacists to go and do that. But I think also another thing we need to really uh, need to really focus on is understanding the impact of those work conditions. It's, it's, it's you can say. We show stuff, we're busy, we don't have enough help, you know. But when you're talking about what the impact of those um, different conditions um, have on pharmacists and, and technicians, and then in regard, how those impact have on patient safety, I think creating a survey that really shows that um, dominant effect between those three would be really, would be really um, helpful, which is what the campaign is working on right now. It's supposed to create a survey that is really quick because people hate filling 20 minute, 20 minute survey that is really short that really hits those points. Say, hey, we've been talking about this, right? But let me show you. This is 80% or 90% of masses feel this way. They feel that because of those conditions, they cannot perform properly. They cannot take off patient. When you see those numbers, you can't deny them. So I'm hoping that as a survey, gets finished, gets promoted, and people fill it out, that will grab the attention of those major organizations that we're talking about and say, hey, this is no, she said, he said, this is what 90% of our is based on this simple size is are saying, you really need to pay attention now, right? So I think this is the hope right where we're all right now. Absolutely. And we've proven through metrics that if the organizations would understand that if they'd stop commoditizing pharmacists and pharmacy services, they could stabilize Americans to keep them adherent to their medications and treatments. They could get pharmacists much deeper involved in doing testing to assure that the, the treatments are working as intended. Mm -hmm. And we could literally save the healthcare systems millions, if not billions, of dollars because a pharmacist would finally be put into a position of really digging deep into treatments rather than just pulling the prescription filling lever. Exactly. Getting into the brain of a pharmacist of what you went to school for and really digging into the treatments and comorbidity and chronic mm -hmm. conditions and everything that you're capable of doing at the pharmacological level. So yeah, yeah, I agree. You know, and and also I think we're not talking about is is the fact that there are no further requirements when it comes to continuing education for us. You know, we only take them because it's required for our license. But I will I imagine working in a system where you are required to become expert in the subjects because you are serving a specific population, you know, diabetes education, you know, and you know, and and you know, and continuing education, you know, on heart disease, you know, then you can have the time to discuss those things. But if we are so busy doing this that, you know, calling patient, you know, um, filling West question, right? Making sure you sign up for test message or 90 days, right? All those, all those things that have nothing to do, we don't have time to really be empowered clinically and to further our knowledge, which at again, which at, 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 the, at the same time, that's not help us to serve our patient to the best of our abilities, right? So not only that, companies, the way they structure um, our workflow, they are really killing us in our knowledge. And we can go home and we can study, 
But, you know, after such a long day at work, you don't have the brain to do all that. I know I check to my, my CEs. I just want to get my CEs and move on, right? But imagine if I had the chance to actually apply deeply, you know, the knowledge that I'm actually needing to get from my CE. That changes the way I push my, uh, my, uh, my profession altogether. And I think we need to get back to that. I agree. I very much agree. Well, it has been an absolute honor and pleasure to have you on the show. I want to let our Pharmacy Podcast Nation and hashtag TwitterRx and also our Instagram followers that we are going to promote uh, Pizza Is Not Working, which is a hashtag that we got to get additional uh, pharmacists using to allow them to become part of this campaign and initiative. I'm going to put some of your contact information in the show notes. So if you're listening right now and you would like to reach out to uh, Dr. Tanoe and understanding how to help in this campaign, because you have done so much in a, in a very short amount of time, which tells me that the ball is rolling and it's getting bigger. So the momentum that you're getting is very key to actually achieving certain changes and transformations. And pharmacy is in a huge transformation right now anyway. Um, I entered pharmacy in 2004 and it was not sizzling like it is today. So much is taking place. We mm -hmm. see many things changing. And I see this as a, as a positive because I'm a half glass full kind of guy. Um, and I believe that this is um, part of the greater change um, with patient focuses first, but also that our pharmacists and our pharmacy technicians are treated as they should be, as professionals, as healthcare um, providers and professionals. And I just want to say thank you for your work. I know that this is a lot of extra work on your plate to keep this campaign going, but I, I would like to help you um, push out a lot of the content that you have through our social media channels. And we want to help however we can, uh, Bled. So thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. It was my pleasure to be with you. And once again, I am so excited for your magazine and thank you for giving pharmacists, you know, a voice to, you know, to show their work and to express um, what we are doing. So thank you. Absolutely. We're also going to have a link to the Facebook group that Bled um, manages. Uh, hashtag pizza is not working. Um, once again, I thank you pharmacists for everything that you do. A shout out to our pharmacy technicians please reach out to the Pharmacy Podcast Network if there's anything that we can do and be on the lookout for a new website as well as the RX Influencer Magazine that's coming soon, which advocates and honors uh, some of the biggest, most influential players in our pharmacy industry that just are not getting enough attention as they should because of what they're really doing in the nicks and crannies of our industry and, and healthcare and impacting patient lives. and. With that, we thank you so much for listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Nation.